Good morning, everybody. Thank you so much for choosing uh, to come out on this ridiculously hot Saturday to be here under the air-conditioned comfort, um, but to also choose to be here to um, spend a day marinating in some what we believe is some really important stuff and really is striking at the heart of what God is doing in our land and amongst his people. Um, hands up if you've been to a Rebuilders event before. It's a good chunk of you. The heart behind um, Rebuilders is really encapsulated in Isaiah 61. If you have your Bibles, I'd love to read a portion of Scripture to you. And to set that up, I can't emphasise enough how much this isn't just words or historical sentiment, but this is a lived reality today. And like as Dallas Willard says about the kingdom of God, it's like electricity. You can turn it on. Um, and so today is about turning that on. And when I read this to you, I, I can't emphasise enough how true these words are to your situation and to the, the cultural moment that we find ourselves. So I'm going to read from Isaiah 61, uh, which is a prophecy about Christ himself. Um, that the Spirit of the Lord is God is on me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted to proclaim liberty to the captives, freedom to prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour and the day of God's vengeance, to comfort all who mourn and to provide for those who mourn in Zion a crown of beauty instead of ashes, festive oil instead of mourning and splendid clothes instead of despair and they will be called righteous trees planted by the Lord to glorify him. And that the Lord's pursuit over your life isn't that ticket to heaven. It's actually to bring freedom, to bring healing, to bring life, to bring joy, to bring beauty to your very circumstances and identity right now and today. And then as Isaiah goes on, he then says of those people who are righteous trees, that they will rebuild ancient ruins. They will restore the former devastations and they will renew the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. We live in a time and place where the stories that we like have been forgotten and the stories that have given us meaning and culture and identity and um, a structure for life have been eroded and God has chosen that we be born in this era and represent him. And really the heart of rebuilders is what Isaiah 61 says at the end, that they will rebuild the ancient ruins. And God is looking for a people who are marked by him and who know him, who can actually speak of a different story to the tsunami wave that is coming across the people of this land um, every minute of every day. And so this is a gathering to do just that. Uh, we've had John Mark Comer looking at discipleship. We've had Terry Walling looking at leadership. And today we have the privilege of having Josh. I know everyone thinks his name is Joshua Ryan Butler, as if it's one now. It's actually Josh uh, and his wife, Holly. They come as, as a duo um, to spend time with us. Uh, Josh, there's a bunch of facts I can give you. He's a father of three. He grew up in Portland, Oregon. He has just moved to Phoenix, um, Arizona, where he's part of a collective of churches called Redemption. But, you know, when I was thinking, how do I introduce Josh? There's only one way to introduce this man. This is a man who knows God. This is a man who has met Christ. And when you speak to him or he speaks to you, you have an encounter with the living, living God. And so you're in for a treat today. 
the way today is going to work, there are um, four sessions, five, including a Q&A at the end. We have a prophet in our own town, Mark, who's going to share the first session. Can we give a round of applause to the prophet in our own town? He will, he will speak the first session, then Josh will get up and, and share with us. There will be a break at 11 o'clock. There'll be a lunch at 12.35. Not 12.30 and it will go for 55 minutes, not an hour, just so that you know. Uh, if you need the amenities in the bathrooms, we've got toilets through there um, and we'll give you instructions for lunch and, and whatnot um, when the time is here. But what I would love to do is if you would all stand, I would love to pray over us. Jesus, son of the living God who um, is more than a historical figure who is living and active and at work today uh, in the lives of the people here, in your name we just ask for your blessing on today. I want to thank you that you know every single person in this room. You know what is going on within them and around them. You know the thoughts of their hearts and you know the things that they don't even know about themselves that are murmuring underneath Father, you know their stories and you know what it is you've got for them, what it is you're wanting to call out. And so I want to ask in the name of Jesus Christ that today, Holy Spirit, you would have the fullness of your way, that you would be the one who is doing the ministry, that you would be the one that who is reminding people of things that have been forgotten or digging up things that have been um, hidden, uh, that you would speak hope, that you would speak encouragement, that you would speak life, uh, that you would shift paradigms today that you would be the one who makes the familiar unfamiliar in a way that evokes us to life and to freedom. We pray against anything that is not of you, that doesn't represent you or your kingdom. We bind that now in the name of Jesus and we just release the fullness of the Holy Spirit to do his ministry. And as a collective people, we say yes and amen to all that you have for us. In your wonderful name, amen. So if you want to give Mark a round of applause, he will... Do our first session. Thank you, Sarah. Um, I don't even really want to give a talk as much because um, I'm not the main event today. Um, I just want to say a couple of things just before I get into my sort of... I'm just going to make some sort of comments really around Scripture and the importance of Scripture uh, in this time and moment. Um, but um, just to add to what Sarah said, I think also part of our desire with Rebuilders was to introduce you to people who God is doing something similar uh, in them um, that is actually happening with people at Red. So it's really exciting to have these sort of just sessions where we can nut through things. Um, yeah, so I'm excited what's going to come out of today. Um, humans essentially, as Sarah just said, are story creatures. Uh, every one of us has a story that we live out of. Um, there is a, a possible sort of story that floats around today that there's actually no stories. That is what is happening and how you understand your life is really a, a collection of different chemical reactions happening in your brain. That there is actually nothing to pin your life on and all of these things that you see as important in life are really just you being fooled by your brain chemistry. And what's really interesting is that's actually a story that is informing increasingly the world. But all of us have these moments where we feel this sense of story drawing us near. Whilst it may be, um, you know, sort of 
fairly contemporary to tell someone that their experiences are actually not really happening and just brain chemicals, as, as multiple books are saying at the moment, that's a very hard thing to say to someone who perhaps just lost a loved one in the hospital. The grief that you're feeling, what you're experiencing now, it's actually not real. The hurt that you're feeling about that loved one passing before you is simply chemicals in your brain, bonding chemicals that have been put there to simply make you bond to the people around you to pass on your DNA. Who would dare to say such a thing in a hospital room? So this sense that we're told one story, that there is no story, but then we're also, we're also drawn into this fact that we as humans are story creatures. We need to inhabit stories, and we cannot live without a story. Stories give us our ethics, our hope, our rationale, our values, and a purpose. So humans have stories. Today's not about the authority of Scripture versus contemporary Melbourne culture. Today's actually about the authority of the revealed Word of God against the other authorities of Scripture. See, everyone has a holy Scripture which you live out of. People I know who have moved on in their mindset from the Christian faith and left their faith behind because they can't accept the authority of Scripture or Christian tradition actually simply always just end up taking on another authority. You can't live in a place where there's no authority. Even the Western story of rebellion is just simply another story that meaning and purpose and values and ethics are found in rejecting meaning, values and purpose and ethics. So just for a second, uh, as we get, what we'd like to do with these rebuilders things, it's not your classic you know, conference per se where you hear a speaker from the front. We want them to be small and intimate and discussion uh, can happen. Uh, so maybe just turn to someone next to you. If you're not sitting to, next to someone, you can lean forward or whatever. But just really quickly, just, just ask the question, what are the three dominant stories that people are encouraged to live out of in Melbourne today? First one of the day. Discuss. Now, you notice that um, one thing I did there is that I didn't say what is the story, because we no longer live in a in a, in a culture where there is one dominant story. It's really interesting if you go to a primary school, you go to any workplace, any government service today, you'll find somewhere, maybe in the break room or on their website, that they value diversity, which is such a fascinating word in the sense that, isn't it just absolutely obvious? If you walk down the street in Melbourne, there are obviously very diverse human beings walking around, believing different things. And so in some sense, our use of the word diversity all the time, that we value diversity, is actually us acknowledging that we actually live in a world with clashing stories and we have no idea what to do about it. Uh, in some ways, it's just like saying, weather, we affirm weather. Um, like there's going to be weather, there's nothing you can do about it. And I also love the fact that, you know, who do you know who's like, I'm utterly against diversity. I'm all about an absolute uniform monoculture with utterly no differences. That's what we're affirming at our workplace. So this sense that we actually live in a diverse world and we're acknowledging that and people put up there, but we don't understand then that that actually creates crashing and complexity around stories. 
the world as it becomes more diverse, as science tells us, when a system becomes more diverse, you have more clashes and more chaos. The world is becoming more chaotic as different stories clash across the globe as we become closer to each other. Now, in the West, despite everything you may have just said, there has been one dominant story that's hell's power. It is now at the heights of the commanding heights of the culture, and it demands that we obey its claim. And the basic story is that humans throughout history have been progressing, and that through mastering education, science, and technology, that we can build perfect humans and a perfect culture. That's been the story that the West has lived out for really the last couple hundred years. But in real time, in your lifetimes, that story is actually collapsing. And just in the last few years, with the advent of terms like fake news and truth decay, we're seeing that the stories that we've been told that the world would get better is actually a story that's failing. So we live in a time where all of a sudden that big story is failing and all these other clashing stories are flying about. This morning, an Indian pilot was handed across the border of Pakistan and India after being shot down over the disputed region of Kashmir. The world for the last few days has been on the brink of a potential small-scale nuclear battle over a region in northern India and southern Pakistan, which could actually see the world collapse into its first nuclear-armed conflict. Now, that's actually about stories. What's the story of Kashmir? Is it a Pakistani story? Is it an Indian story? Even the story of the fighter pilot being shot down in his MiG by a Pakistani F-15 was retold on the internet. I went on, because I do crazy things like this, and just looking at news reports put up of an Indian jet shot down, and all of a sudden you had Pakistanis going, yes, well done, we know we're fighting back the Indians, and the Indians like, it actually wasn't shot down, this happened, and then all these conspiracy theories coming in, and it's just crazy that so much of the world at the moment is about clashing stories. Alistair McIntyre, the philosopher, said to remind us that we have to understand that we as human beings get to choose the story out of which we live. And he says that the failing Western contemporary story, which no longer offers you a full and rounded out set of ethics and beliefs, actually is one that we don't have to give our allegiance to. So this then brings us around to the story and the collection of books that we understand as Scripture. Now what's interesting is the Bible is not just a book. The Bible invites us into a story out of which to live. It's not a series of philosophical beliefs or a set of abstract ideas. Rather, it's a story into which we're invited. Mike Goheen, who we've had speak at Red Church before, uh, who's in, come, comes to, to Phoenix a lot, um, and Craig Bartholomew write in their book, The Drama of Scripture, the Bible provides us with a basic story that we need in order to understand our world and to live in it as God's people. We know that there is one thing to confess the Bible to be the Word of God, but often another thing to know how to read the Bible in a way that lets, us, lets it influence the whole of our lives. Such a story invites us, compels us to get involved. So this is not a story we ha ha hold at a distance, because Scripture is actually revelation. 
that in a world of competing stories, the story of Scripture actually says that it is the one true story, and not just because of its claims, but actually because God, through His Holy Spirit, uses it to speak to us. And in the confusion of humanity, that it sees and makes the claims that is like a ray of light illuminating our minds to the mind of God. It's a revelation of God's nature, His love and holiness. Thus, it can't be approached as other books are approached. If you're going to write something down, write this. We don't just read the Bible. The Bible reads us. Even during periods where the dominant story in the West wasn't that one, that the world was going to get better through technology, and in parts of the West history when actually the Bible was the dominant story, even then, bizarrely, humans still showed the capacity to ignore its most central claims. That's so often at heights of the Christian influence in society, it was a partial influence and people would find in Scripture a critique even of Christian culture. So it's not something we can contain or control, rather it asks that it reads us. And because humans fall short of the glory of God, the Bible therefore is a prophetic text in every culture. At this point in time, the official Chinese churches that the government tolerates called the Three Self Churches now have government officials who are going throughout China and finding churches which have the Ten Commandments written on their walls. And the Chinese Communist Party currently is asking those churches to remove one of the commandments, which is, you shall have no other gods but me. Because that claim in a country like China today is actually a dangerous claim. The story of the West, it's important to understand, is actually the story that has been founded on a rejection of Scripture. Now, part of that because Scripture had been used wrongly as justifications for holy wars or other injustices. Yet there's also within the West a rejection of the right reading of the Bible because it's a message that goes completely against our foundation myth and says to us that humans cannot live without God and will fall short and personally and corporately are in need of God. Thus, you, even if you're a fully-fledged believer in Christ, there's part of you, because you've grown up and been formed in the West, and particularly in a city like Melbourne, you've been trained and formed to read the Bible with a reading of suspicion, to hold it at a distance, to continually compare it to the dominant authority in our culture, to the canon of Western belief. You're always comparing the Bible against that. So what I'm excited about Josh talking about today is that worrying fear that you may discover something in the Bible that actually tells you that God is not good and jars your concept of God. But if the claims that the Scriptures make that God is revealing Himself through these words, there's actually nothing to be afraid of in Him. So just a couple of ways that we can read the Scriptures wrong that we need to leave behind as people shaped both by the Bible, but also by the sacred scriptures of contemporary Western culture, we can approach it wrongly. First of all, we can make the error of approaching scripture as it's like information, the way someone would learn about the information behind clouds or water. Just dazzling metaphors up here. 
and therefore think that we've mastered the Bible when we know lots of stuff about it. There are people throughout history who have known lots about Scripture and their heads have been fooled, but their hearts haven't been changed. One of the dynamics at play is that we believe, and one of the values at read is that it's about word and spirit. That the spirit illuminates scripture, that we read it not just as a book, but actually we read it and there's actually this relationship happening with God where he opens our eyes to what is going on in scripture. So it's not just mere information, the knowledge of a subject. It's not like someone who knows the starting lineups of every test cricket nation and can recite all, this, all the, the stats, but never has played cricket in their life. We're actually invited onto the field. So secondly, the wrong way that we can read the scripture is like a Google search engine or a YouTube tutorial video, that when we hit a problem in our lives, we actually approach it, take it off the shelf, and I'm struggling with anxiety at the moment, I have a relational breakdown, or I just want to work out how to answer that question that someone had for me in my uni class. And we try and Google an answer, take it off, but then put it back up on the shelf. Richard Foster, in his book, Life with God, about Scripture, says that both these two approaches still leave us in charge and enable us to encounter God on our terms. Larry Crabb notes that while we often want relief, God wants change. So we can often approach Scripture wanting a relief. And there's been plenty of people who've been hit by God who state that was their starting point. But God actually wants to change us as we read Scripture. Foster continues, if we want to receive the Bible, if we want to receive from the Bible the life with God that is portrayed in the Bible, we must be prepared to have our dearest and most fundamental assumptions about ourselves and our associations called into question. We must read humbly and in a constant attitude of repentance. Only in this can we go through a thorough and practical grasp, so again, a thorough and practical grasp of the spiritual riches that God has made available to all humanity in His written word. That concept of reading humbly and an attitude of repentance is completely different. If you've studied, not just, at, not just at university anymore, but increasingly at high school and primary school in Australia, you're taught to read everything with that reading of suspicion. What Foster is saying here, we actually read the scriptures with a reading of repentance and humility, which is so countercultural. So we're not invited just to, into a story, but it's a grand story. And it's a story which has got all different contours and repeating themes. It has a beginning, it has troublesome periods, it has dark nights, but it has bright mornings. But all of it is pointing to an end point, which reminds us that actually it's a love letter. A love letter written to us by God who loves us, who reveals himself and his nature and his ways in these pages of all these different authors in this ancient book. I just want to end with this quote again from Foster. Shall we try and control the Bible, that is to make it come, come out right, or we shall, shall we simply seek to release its life into our lives and into our world? Can we surrender freely to the life we see in the Bible, or must we remain in control of that life, only selectively endorsing it so far as we find proper and safe from our perspective? Can we trust the living water that flows from Christ through the Bible, open ourselves to it and open it up to the way into the world as best as we can, and then get out of its way? This is the goal of reading the Bible for spiritual transformation. 
So we come to this point wanting to encounter God. We come to this point wanting to wrestle with the themes of Scripture here because ultimately we want to encounter what He wants to do amongst us. Josh is going to come up in a minute, but just there's a whole bunch of concepts in there. Just what is one that stood out for you? What's one idea that you'd never thought of? Turn to the person next to you and discuss as Josh comes up and prepares.